evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. Hi, I'm Irene Watson, and I'm with Reader Views in Austin, Texas. And I'm Victor Volkman with Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'd like to welcome all our listeners to episode number 125 in our series. Tonight's topic will be book writing, publicity, and promotion with special guest Dan Pointer. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Now, tonight we have on the line uh, Dan Pointer, a man who almost needs no introduction, but I'm going to introduce him anyway. He is, of course, uh, the author whose self-publishing manual, How to Write, Print, and Sell Your Own Book, has had more than 15 editions and is the most often referenced book on the subject by far. In fact, he has produced more than 76 books, some of which have been produced into Spanish, Japanese, Russian, British, and German language. And one of his books, Hang Lighting, has sold more than 130,000 copies. Now, that's a bestseller any way you slice it. Uh, good evening, Dan. How are you, Victor? Well, I'm really glad to have you on the show, Dan. And I want to, first off, talk about e-books. In the last year or two, they've just really taken over the market, per se. And I would like to talk to you about that and what you think the future is with e-books. Well, the reason that they've taken over in the last two years, Irene, is because Sony and Amazon have given them so much publicity. They're in the public consciousness. I travel a lot, more than 6,000 miles every week. During the last few years, I have seen an increase in Kindles. During the last six months, I have seen an explosion of iPads. Now, I've been reading e-books for many, many years, first on a pocket PC and for the last two and a half years on an iPhone, and all my books are available as e-books. I have been speaking on e-books since the early 90s, and I'm amazed that it's taken this long. Um, the main reason, well, now the public consciousness is raised, but from a publisher's standpoint, it's much less expensive to produce an e-book than to uh, produce a dead tree book. And so uh, we're seeing a, a huge swing, and I think there are going to be a lot of uh, readers sold for this Christmas, and there's going to be a lot of people reading uh, e-books in the future. Well, it certainly points that way for sure. The um, One of the comments I get from my reviewers, in fact, out of the um, 20 adults that I have for reader views, only one will read a PDF or an e-book. The rest all tell me that they work on a computer all day and they do not want to sit at a computer or any type of a screen to read a book. And, you know, that's a pretty high percentage, 19 out of 20. So I'm wondering if you've heard this comment from others as well. Uh, but see, there are different people. Everybody has a unique lifestyle. For example, you have people who spend a lot of time behind the steering wheel. They're long-haul truckers. They're long-distance commuters. They're sales reps. They need an audio book. I mean, they can't read okay. while they're driving. Uh, you have people who are, are visually impaired, and they need large print books. And that could be a print book or an e-book because you can adjust the size on the e-book. You have people who stay at home a lot, and printed books work just fine. And then you have people like me who travel a lot. We need e-books because we can't carry a whole bunch of printed books. So the main thing about the ebook, really, besides slightly cheaper books and so on, is portability. Mm -hmm. And 
that's why people are buying so much water in bottles. You know, the, the city water is usually held to a higher standard than the bottled water, but the bottle offers portability. So let's focus on that. Different people, different lifestyles, different types of books. And that is so true. And so when most of our listeners are um, authors, and we do have publishers as well that listen, so what are what do you suggest to authors about ebooks that actually do have print books also? Do you suggest that they do make ebooks, or are you all just basically for ebooks only? Well, you're going to do a certain amount of promotion on your book, and if there's some people who can't purchase your book because it doesn't fit their lifestyle, then you've wasted some of your promotion time. Now, the best way to do ebooks is to send your file, your, your text, and your cover off to smashwords.com, S-M-A-S-H, words, smashwords.com. They'll put it into nine different formats, PDF, LIT, Moby Pocket, Palm, EPUB, Sony, Kindle, and so on. No charge. That's pretty good so far. They put it up on their website, and when they sell one, excuse me, <clears throat> they keep 15%. They send you 85%. So you're doing pretty well. Now, they've also made deals with um, you know, Apple and Google and so on, barnesandnoble.com. You've got to give away a little more there. But, hey, instantly your ebook is available to people all over the world. And so you really can't go wrong with this. And you know you've got everything covered, and you didn't have to learn a whole bunch. You didn't have to you know, spend days and days reformatting your book or something. So it's... Um, it's a new profit center for you, and it makes your book available to a whole new group of people. Great. Let's uh, shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about uh, marketing of the books. Uh, given that the self-published author only has so many resources, I'm wondering how would you recommend people allocate the budget in terms of percentages or pieces of the pie? You started off on the right foot there because it doesn't matter if you sell out to a large New York publisher or publish yourself. The author must do the promotion. Publishers do not promote books. You ask anybody who's been published by one and they'll tell you that. Okay, so you have to do it yourself. It is now faster, easier, and cheaper. And the reason is that advertisers have moved their advertising money from print, magazines, and newspapers to online. That's why... Well, Newsweek, you know, just shriveled down to almost nothing. It was sold twice, and last I, I think it was sold again last month for a dollar. They were losing half a million dollars every week, and this is very typical of other magazines and other newspapers. Why did the uh, advertisers move their money online? Because the eyeballs are online. People aren't reading magazines and newspapers anymore. They're reading online. So that's where you want to do your promotion, and it's so easy. Now, you need a printed book, and I suggest 500 to start. And then you're going to send out to that printed book to everybody who has a blog on your subject, highly targeted. <clears throat> For example, I have a new book on air travel. That was sent to people who have a blog on air travel. The readers of those blogs are interested in air travel. It's perfectly um, targeted. You're going to send it out to anybody with a website on your subject. You're going to send it to anybody who is a regular contributor to forums or listservs on your subject. Very, very targeted, very inexpensive. Now, excuse me, you can't send a PDF to these people. Well, you can, but you shouldn't because they'll see it and they say, oh yeah, Victor wrote another book. Great. And it's gone. But if you send a printed book, they're going to get that in the mail. They're going to take it out of the package. They're going to look at it front, back, page through it. They'll probably put it on a shelf, and it will be communicating back to them day after day that you wrote a book on their favorite subject. So they'll mention you once in a while and, uh, and recommend you from time to time. 
It is so easy to do, and what uh, people have to do today is go online and make a list of all of the possible places that you can send your uh, printed book uh, in your targeted category and build up this list because you're going to be mining that list over and over again. This is fun because it's your favorite subject. You know, I've written all these books on how to write and publish books, and I love to talk about that. So it's uh, it's fun to be dealing with people all over the world talking about your favorite subject. Very easy to promote books today. Wow, that's great advice. You really summed it up in a nutshell. And if you're not writing about what you love and you don't have the resources, maybe you should be writing about something else anyways. Follow your heart. Yeah, absolutely. Now, given the... uh, the prevalence now of instant books as well as ebooks are the advanced reviewers, the old big five, as important as they used to be? Library Journal, Publishers Weekly, and the others. Forget them. Look what's happened. A Publishers Weekly shrunk, 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 shrunk because the big publishers weren't advertising in magazines anymore. So now they've kind of gone online and they're trying to figure out where they're going and they let most of their people go. Uh, and now they're charging for reviews, and Kirkus is charging for reviews. I mean, there's no need to have a pre-publication review anymore. The reason for pre-publication reviews was because of three selling seasons a year. And the reason we had three selling seasons was because that's when the sales reps would go out to all the independent stores and show the new book, well, the covers, and take orders for the following delivery at the end of the season. Well, the independent stores and the chain stores are going out of business. The brick-and-mortar stores cannot compete with the online stores. So they're going very, very rapidly. And you're going to see a huge number go out right after the first of the year, right after this Christmas season. So there's no reason um, to have selling seasons. Therefore, there's no need for pre-public reviews. And so uh, you are relieved. I give you permission to just ignore pre-pub reviews because uh, they're not important anymore, and uh, in another, uh, what, the near future, which is a couple of months, <laughs> they won't exist anymore. All right. <laughs> so I'm just going to switch gears a little bit here, too. That was some interesting information, and uh, but what I want to talk about is publishing scams. Now, there just seems to be a lot of buzz out there that many of the subsidy presses are uh, scams. Uh, a lot of the self-published people that are just strictly self-published are totally against subsidy. Others that have used subsidy presses have had good experiences. And, you know, there's just a lot of confusion out there. Well, let me put it this way. lady came up to me recently. She handed me her book. She said, can you help me sell this? And I looked at it. It was, I don't know, 250 pages or so. And I, and I turned it over, and it had the name of a vanity press on the back. So how much are these costing you? She says, $11 each. Now, why would you pay $11 if you could get it for two? I mean, that's just ridiculous. You know, you have to do uh, your due diligence, and you have to uh, check prices out there, get prices. I said, I uh, bet you haven't sent out very many review copies. She said, I can't afford to send out review copies. Well, how's anybody going to know about your book if you don't send out review copies? Before you deal with anybody in publishing, and this is, you know, a, a, a publisher, a typesetter, anybody, before you buy a car, before you have your house painted, you owe it to yourself and your family and your bank account to do the due diligence. And it's so easy. You go to Google and you type in the company name, and you do the plus sign and the word scam. 
Then do company plus fraud, company plus better business bureau, company plus uh, ripoff. And if there are bad reports out there, you'll read about them, and then you can make an educated decision. But please uh, do this, and please don't come back to me a few months later and say, boy, this self-publishing, this doesn't work. It's just you know, it's too expensive, and I'm, these people were calling me all the time, and, and um, it's just not working for them. If you use the figures that they put on their websites on the number of titles they publish and the number of books that they sell, it's fewer than 100 copies per title, and most of those were sold to the author. And you can tell who they are because they have boiler rooms full of people calling you every day, and the deadline is 2 o'clock this afternoon. You have to make a decision. So uh, you know, please tell, um, you know, do the due diligence, do the Google search, and tell your friends to do the Google search uh, because it will save them a lot of time and a lot of grief. Do you feel that a lot of the uh, reports, the, the scams or the ripoffs or the fraud reports are sometimes just by angry authors that uh, may be misunderstood, or do you really feel that these are legitimate um, complaints? No, I think they're quite legitimate. Um, in, um, you know, well, usually people ran across them because of a Google ad, and uh, they don't know any better. They don't know any other place, and they haven't uh, done any research. And by the time their book comes out, they finally learn about a few other places, and um, and then they realize there's a difference. Now, when somebody writes something nasty, you can read between the lines. If there's only one nasty report, well, maybe not. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you have... Uh, you know, 50 reports and there are two or three nasty ones, well, you read between the lines and uh, follow the other ones. But uh, believe me, it just it costs too much, and um, they're upselling you on all kinds of things that you don't need. So uh, do yourself a favor and stay away. So it seems like uh, on that same note that um, self-published books are really escalating in the market also, and especially in the last... Um, five or so years, and maybe even more so since uh, the economy shifted. Do you feel that this is going to continue, that there will be more and more self-published books coming out? Well, I think so. There was a Gallup poll a few years ago, and it said that 81% of the population would like to write a book someday. You know, some people like to play the piano someday, and some of us would like to lose some weight someday, but 81% of the population is thinking about writing a book. So that's a really high percentage. And self-publishing has been around for a long time. This, you're talking about some modern figures? Well, let's go back two years. There were six large publishers in New York. There were three to 400 medium-sized publishers across the country. There were 86,000 self-publishers. So I think we're in the majority. Mm-hmm. Um, 78% of all the titles published were self-published. 22% came from the big six in New York. So... Um, Self-publishing has been around in a big way for a long time, and yes, I think it's going to increase. I think you're going to see a huge surge, and I will make a prediction that the big six in New York are going to go out of business overnight because they can't keep up with uh, the self-publishing, people doing it themselves, and they can't keep up with Amazon. And Amazon is a publisher, by the way, and they are the exception to the rule because Amazon actually promotes books. You know, they send me an email every day saying, mm-hmm. we see that you like historical fiction, here's some more. You read this book, we think you'll like that book. So, uh, there's and, and they're giving away, what is it, 70% royalty? There's no way a big publisher can, can compete with that. And I think they're just, there's too much inertia. And I suggest to people, 
be very careful before you go with a big publisher because by the time you expect to get a royalty check, which is two years, uh, they may not be around. One other thing I want to warn people about the big publishers, they uh, I have books here from Wiley, St. Martin's, um, Penguin, and a couple others, and they have switched over to a natural stock paper. It's not white paper. It looks like newsprint. It looks cheap. And um, you know, believe me, if you uh, if you went with a, a Wiley, and uh, you would um, you'd apologize handing your book to people, saying, "Well, I didn't pick the paper. I'm sorry about that," because it just looks awful. Uh, they're just saving money wherever they can. And I travel all over the world, and, and they're producing nice books on white paper in other countries. So for me, it's a really a great embarrassment. If you know anybody who is going with a large New York publisher, warn them to put a quality control clause in the contract that they get to select the paper. It's only going to cost a nickel or a dime more, and you'll get it on white paper. Imagine a book full of photographs on a beige-colored paper. It's really trashy. looks awful. So anyway, yeah, self-publishing is going to uh, continue to grow. Self-publishing has been around for a long time, and it's going to be just about the only way in the future. Well, it certainly uh, looks like it's headed that way. However, there still seems to be a stigma about, oh, that book is self-published, or oh, it's a POD. <laughs> you know, do you think we'll ever get over that? Well, Irene, have you ever heard anybody say, Simon & Schuster, I love their books, I buy them all? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There are two kinds of books. You've got fiction, that's entertainment. You've got nonfiction, that's valuable information. Uh, people buy nonfiction to learn something or solve a problem. So they're getting into a new area. Uh, maybe it's gardening or sport or, or canning or something. And they go to the bookstore and they go over to that shelf and they look at these books and they, they you know, will this book answer my question? Um, by the way, I wonder who this author is. Is she a credible person? Nobody ever asks who the publisher is. It's not an issue. And most of the books in the bookstore are not from the big publishers. So... Uh, I don't think there's um, any stigma because nobody cares who the publisher is. You know, I still have to agree with that. It seems to me that the only ones that have this stigma are other authors That's or right. publishers. The ones who have sold out. <laughs> right. <laughs> and say, well, I have a publisher. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. you're not getting very much money. <laughs> yeah, because I, I can bet my kids on this one that anybody, any... You know, John Doe can go into a bookstore and ask if the the person they're looking for a book, if they care who the publisher is, they'll just probably look at you with this blank look. (laughs) (laughs) They wouldn't know anyway. Yeah. Have to look on the book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, the only only, um, time a publisher is important is on a branded book. And there really are only two or three brands, and that's the Dummies books, the Idiots books, um, maybe the Chicken Soup books. Lots of other publishers have tried to start brands, and um, they're just too little too late. They haven't been successful. But it's kind of like a, a chain restaurant. If uh, you go to Denny's Restaurant at home, and now you go to Florida on holiday, and you're driving down the uh, street, and you say, there's a Denny's Restaurant, you know exactly what you're going to get, so you pull in there. Uh, that's a brand, and that's important. Um, but in, in books, uh, there are very, very few brands. Great. Let's talk just for a minute about uh, in-person events. Uh, what 
places are good places to do in-person events? Bookstores, libraries, schools, and where should I spend my time? Well, the best place really is a targeted storefront. If you have a book on cats, a pet store is a great place. You know, they'll love to have you there. Uh, all these people come in and they have pets already. Uh, it's just a perfect match. Uh, I would say do as many as possible. Uh, test test out the bookstores. Test out the libraries. Uh, schools are, are very, very good uh, and a lot of fun. So, you know, try everything. But remember that your book is on a certain subject, and if there's a store that matches it, you should go there. Um, but also, let me explain this, Victor, is you should only do the promotion that you enjoy. Now, let's face it. Most of us writers are introverts. We don't really like going out and uh, flogging our own book and uh, doing uh, radio and TV and autograph scenes and so on. And so my advice is if you don't like to do a certain kind of advertising uh, promotion, don't do it. The problem is that many authors think that radio, TV, and autographings are the only way to promote books, and so they do nothing at all, and nobody hears about the book. There are so many ways that you can promote your books online by taking part in other people's blogs, you know, adding to the blog, commenting on the blog, by uh, going to people's websites on your subject and, and writing to them and establishing communication, by going to the forums, the listeners on your subject, and being a constant uh, contributor, answering the questions. And whenever you sign your, uh, do something online, you always sign your name and your book title and your URL so you drive eyeballs back to your website. Get known online. Spend more time online. This is very um, acceptable to a lot of uh, introverted authors who really don't want to go out and um, face people and face rejection and so on. On the other hand, if you like doing TV, the only way to get on almost is with a book. Probably 95% of the people being um, interviewed on TV have a book, whether they're a celebrity or an unknown, and toward the end of the interview, up comes the book. And um, and if you want to go on TV, one of the best ways, of course, is with the book, but then it's also very good to have a couple of clips up at YouTube showing you in action. That's very good because these TV producers uh, watch YouTube to see which ones are the most uh, watched, and are you mediagenic? So those are um, some good pointers, Dan. Uh, I want to talk about one of my little pet peeves, mm-hmm. or you know, little com- complaints. It actually is a big complaint I have, and mm-hmm. I'm finding this more and more so that so many of the books that we're getting in for review have editing issues, and we, our system is, is we do five at edit- five at a time uh, so that it works good for our editor, for our posting person, and so we, like, create five packages, or, pardon me, packages of five reviews to a package. And I would venture to say that at least two out of five, the reviewers are making comments that the book has not been edited, there are major editing issues, things like misspellings, typos, grammar, you name it. I'm so glad you brought that up. It's very, very important. Every savvy author uses an editor. And, um, and even great writers use editors. They pick up lots of things from punctuation, grammar, style. And what people need to do is, uh, well, they can go to my website. I've got a list of editors there. The, you need to interview several and find out what they charge, when they can fit you into their schedule, and the most important question is, have you worked on this category of book before? You want somebody 
who knows what you're talking about, loves the subject, uh, can't wait to get back to it, and um, and can bring information from past projects. You know, gee, Irene, have you ever thought of this? Uh, that kind of thing. So, yes, uh, you owe it to yourself, you owe it to your reader, you owe it to the book to hire an editor. I, we're finding that sometimes... Uh, it, well, okay. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm going to tell you about one excuse... And this is the first time I've ever heard of this one is she was very upset because we pointed out that there were editing issues and she came back and said, I have ADD and that's why there are problems in my book. And I'm thinking, whoa, this is the first time I've never heard that ADD is actually a condition that, you know, prevents you from editing a book. And an editor wouldn't be able to clean up. <laughs> right. But I'm finding a lot of people also are telling us that they just don't have the money to hire an editor because they're looking at, you know, dollars $1,500, $2,000 sometimes, depending on what all needs to be done. And they just can't afford it. And they feel that because they've taken an English class or because they have spell check, they can actually do it themselves. Well, you know, my last book, um, I went through very carefully and uh, used Microsoft Word and used the spell check and the grammar check. And it catches a lot of things. Um, a lot of little typos, but then I let my girlfriend go over it. Boy, did she find a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so find somebody in your family, find a colleague, find somebody who loves your subject. That's the best thing to do because they uh, they'll enjoy doing it and they know something about the subject. Uh, get a colleague that uh, you know, loves your subject as much as you do, and uh, don't just stop at one. Uh, clean it up and send it to a second one. Great. Let's talk for just a minute about book titles. Do they have to be unique, never seen before? Do they have to be funny? What makes a good book title? Well, uh, the issue with book titles is that there are more books coming out than there are words in the language. So um, you're going to have duplicates from time to time. Sometimes the only distinguishing area is the subtitle. But I've got eight books on a shelf here in my living room, and all are titled Getting Published. They have different subtitles. They're all attack the subject differently. Um, the best titles really are uh, plays on words, uh, some uh, titles that sound like something else. I'm trying to think of some beauties. of Bob Mandel, who did uh, Two Hearts Are Better Than One, um, but Open Heart Therapy, um, relationship books. And um, but words that just bring a smile to people's face, faces, uh, because they remind you of something else. They're just a play on words. Those are probably the, the very best. Titles should be three to five words. Not so long that people get them mixed up or transpose the words um, or can't remember them. And the subtitle can be much longer and, and should be a greater explanation. But the secret to titling is, first of all, do your back cover sales copy because what happens is people try to get everything into their title and it's too long, and it doesn't make any sense. But if they do the back cover, they'll get all those words and ideas and sales pitches out of their system, and then they can select the title and the subtitle from the back cover. Your back cover, you can get this free on my website. It's document116 at parapub.com. You have a category in the upper left-hand corner. That tells that minimum wage clerk in the store which title or which um, shelf to put your book on. 
you have an arresting headline, which is not the title. You don't repeat the title. You've got a short description of the book. You have your bulleted promises. You will discover how easy it is, too. You have a little short piece about the author to show how credible you are. You have three testimonials from entirely different kinds of people. Closing copy, barcode, price. There's a uh, We have this paint-by-the-numbers outline. It's available on the website. It's also in most of my books. And uh, do the back cover first and then extract the title and the subtitle. And you do it before you write the book. I can think of one book recently where during the 31 days it took me to write the book, I changed the back cover every couple of days. I tweaked it and tweaked it. The title and subtitle I changed three times. Well, by the time the book came out, the title and subtitle were really good, and the back cover was very direct, and I could even enlarge the type a little bit. So do the back cover, then work on your title and your subtitle. That's almost in reverse, isn't it, of what we would normally think. Yeah, but most people write the book, and then they throw a back cover on it, Uh and they pick a title out of the air, and they, it, the outside has to sell the inside. Yeah, of course. And, you know, there's the old adage, the book is judged by the cover. And if you don't believe that, you haven't met the buyer from Barnes & Noble. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, Dan, some closing inspirational words from you for the authors that are listening. The most expensive parts of book publishing are the mistakes. You don't have to make them. We've already made them. <laughs> so, um you know, listen to Blog Talk Radio on writing and publishing. Uh, buy the books on the subject. Go to conferences. All of these things together will give you that education, and it's cheaper than a mistake. That is so, so true. And now with the Internet, there is so much information available. I don't That's think right. there's anything that is, isn't on the Internet that isn't going to help an author. It's all there. Just have to yep. do a little bit of research, and that's a problem because a lot of these people go with the vanity presses without going out and learning about what the industry is all about. Yeah, and uh, they make a mistake and they spend money in the wrong places. Gosh, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time and talking to us. And I know that our listening audience are just got a lot of information that um, you presented to us. And uh, you mentioned your website, but let, I'll have you mention it one more time. Parapub. Com. Think Parachutes and Publishing, P-A-R-A-P-U-B dot com. Parapod.com. There you go. All right. Listeners, it's, again, Dan Pointer's address is parapub.com. And you've been listening to another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is AuthorsAccess.com. Stay tuned for the next episode, Organizing a Successful Book Fair, with special guest Valerie Coleman. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send your questions and comments to info at AuthorsAccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. And this is Irene Watson for Reader Views saying good night. For Loving Healing Press, this is Victor Wolfman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening.